Welcome back, everybody, to the Star Wars podcast, where we talk all things Marvel and Star Wars. Please take a moment to check our show notes to find our social media, merch, and more. Today, we are recapping the Halloween special, Werewolf by Night, in full spoiler details. So if you haven't seen the episode, I would get out of here. Uh, I am here with my favorite Scottish monster hunter, Tommy. Tommy, how's it going? Ooh, it's me. Uh, I'm good. You know, I'm such a great uh, podcaster hunter over here that I've I've hunted 65 podcasts in the last year. So not to do my horn, but two, two. Dang. Okay. Um, we'll see how much our guest has. We do have a guest here today. Um, it is the great Todd, the librarian. Todd, how are you? I'm doing really well. Hey, I, I'm, I think my number is like a little over 100, give or take. Uh, you can almost smell the blood on my hands. Yeah. Um, Todd, I'm going to let you kick us off here. Um, we have come off this very interesting, kind of kind of interesting. You know, it's not a movie. It's not a TV show. It is a Marvel special, Werewolf by Night. Um, and, and I think it makes changes in a lot of different ways to things that we're not used to in the MCU. But I, I want to get your take. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was a blast. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I will say to kick things off, I'm a huge horror movie fan. I love horror movies. That's one of the reasons why, like, uh, several months ago, uh, I was like, Tommy, when you do the Halloween special, I would like to be on the Halloween special. Even before there was word about whether it being good or not, I'm like, it's going to be a Halloween Marvel thing. I got I to gotta be on to talk about that. So, yeah, uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was a really cool way to use the platform that that Disney Plus gives them to do this little one-off to experiment with the form a little bit to like, branch out and not be a thing that's just like a spin-off of something else and not necessarily setting up anything else but just like a little side story to go okay yeah these characters could pop up in like Blade or something else later on but this could just be like a little like nice okay we want to explore the horror side of things let's just do a one-off little horror tale and like have fun with the uh, style like kind of aping that like 30s 40s universal horror movie style a bit and being able to do some really interesting things with the form I thought it was like a really it was fun just for what it was but also fun for, like the possibilities that it gives for things that they can do in the future. Cause I know I've read that they've been talking about, yeah, like we'd like to do more of these one-off things in the future, ways to explore characters that maybe not might not support like a full series or a full movie, but they can do like a nice, cool one-off special to like dive into some things. So I think that's like a really neat weapon to have in Marvel's arsenal. Yeah. I mean, you, you said it great. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and give my takes here. Guys, I am absolutely in love with this. This is my favorite thing in phase four Marvel. Uh, this was just so much fun. And you're right. Like we needed something that was like completely detached, uh, you know, kind of in the same universe. Like all of this stuff can be explained away, but like, cause we understand the universe, you know, like when we see all the monsters on the wall, it's like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, but it, it's still like so independent. But here's the thing, like, I came in like, yay, I, I just, I'm going to watch this and never think about it again. But I love all of these characters so much. I, I want them, I want them in the Avengers, right? Like, I, like, I need the, I need them to stay around. It's been so much fun. Everybody from, from Ted to Jack to Elsa, I just, I'm gushing. I loved it. Tommy, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, I think uh, as probably the least spooky person on, on this panel, I had to watch it during the day. I was too nervous to watch it at nighttime, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I think everything you guys are saying, like Marvel Comics does this all the time. They just throw out random stuff here and there. It's just, here's a one shot. Here's this. And I kind of like them. Uh, the MCU is starting to do that of like, here's these random specials. Here's, we're going to just try something and just do it well, but just throw random things. And I, I feel like that's, what's exciting about this. Um, I'm with you. I mean, I was so excited to see Elsa, uh, in, in live action uh, and and the other Ted uh, was definitely a shock to me. I didn't know that going in. So uh, very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, Ted had been spoiled for me. I knew that we were getting uh, the man thing in this, uh, but still it was, it was nice to actually get to see someone show fear and burn at the man things touch. I, if I have one complaint about that thing is that no one actually uttered the phrase, 
whoever knows fear burns at the man things touch, which is like the catchphrase of the character in the comic books. And it would have fit so well in this world. Like someone making that like big, broad proclamation about the monster. I mean, that would have like fit in so well. I know they probably didn't do it because they wanted to, you know, keep the suspense. They didn't even have to call him man thing. They said, whoever knows fear burns at this creature's touch. They could have done that a little bit, but I kind of, I missed that phrasing. I wish that phrasing had happened just because it would have fit this style so well. I just imagine a uh, Harriet Sansom Harris who played Verusa, like the evil stepmother, you know, with all of her over the top hammy glory pronouncing that line. It would have been so good. So I've had any, any single complaint about this is that we didn't get that line from her because it would have fit so well. But other than that, I was like so impressed with how well they fit, you know, Ted into this. Uh, so I knew it was going to be, I didn't realize how big of a part he was going to be in it. Yeah, and this is what's so interesting um, as a non-comic book reader here. I, I had no idea, like, I knew Werewolf by it was based on a comic book, but people like Elsa and Man-Thing, these were things that I was not aware of. Like, they could have been original characters, I had no idea. Uh, but it seems like El Elsa's one, after, like, doing my research a little bit, you know, she's like a full-blown monster hunter, and uh, I love that. I, I would love to, She she's like, what is she, like, the female Van, Van Helsing of this universe? I think that's a really cool concept and it would make sense to have somebody like that in the MCU. And, and stuff like this makes me very excited for this, you know, we know Blade's kind of up in the, whatever is happening over there, but this dark Marvel stuff, like there is an avenue for it, there is want for it, and it seems like they know how to handle horror and, you know, between this and even we get funny horror with Doctor Strange, like, do this like you know we know dc is kind of doing that they have their dark dc department now why doesn't marvel start you know and i think they are we getting we, you know allegedly we think you know i know we've talked about uh a a like horror uh, avengers team you know uh would love it you know based on what i'm seeing here yeah uh, i was really impressed uh michael giacchino like this is his first major direct directing thing you know he's well known for doing like musical scores like you know famously like a lost you know so but Gio Kino is suddenly directing and so I was never I first saw his name associated with this like oh he's doing the score I'm like no no he's directing I'm like oh that's interesting you know and it's like kind of like okay well it's like a little one shot so let's give this guy a, a shot at directing a thing that's not directed no not necessarily like a, a huge project but I think he just knocked it out of the park you know and showing that he could do this thing which is like like kind of horror light in a lot of ways though so it is darker but it is like again styled in like the 30s 40s you know so there's like very little like there's very little in the way of jump scares there's very little in the way of gore you know uh but it is like that still kind of spooky like the but the way that he handles everything like the the werewolf transformation scene everything it definitely has that like spooky feel to it so i, I love the fact that they are kind of you know dipping their toe in the waters after going like pretty, you know, a little bit more horror forward in the multiverse of madness and this. Yeah. I think it's definitely showing that there is room for them to be able to dip into this darker side of things. And I, again, big, big horror movie fan, big comic book fan. I, I love the genre matchups. And one of the things I always loved about Marvel and DC too, is when they do this sort of thing or they take like, think about comics in general, it's like taking like superheroes and melding them with some other genres. One of the reasons why like, uh, you know, Winter Soldier is possibly my my favorite of the uh, Captain America movies because it's like superheroes meet a uh, you know espionage film. Like anytime you can do like, well, I love first Ant Man. It's superheroes meet heist film. You know, like do that sort of thing. So superheroes meet horror movie film. It's automatically going to be like pretty high up on my list as long as it's like well executed. Uh, so yeah, and to see you know, like I said, there's a. Uh, like Elsa and Ted and Jack the werewolf are all like original are all characters from the comic books and Ulysses like uh, Elsa's uh, father you know those are all characters from the comic books every other character in this were just made up for the show but those are all and mostly like from the seventies like uh, Ted Ulysses Wolf by Night they all uh, debuted like seventy one through seventy five and Elsa came back in like the two thousands uh, but it was like so neat to see these characters have been around for a long time that I never thought I would have necessarily seen on on TV live action suddenly get life was like really cool yeah so you bring up the the michael giacchino of it all and i honestly like in hindsight seeing how this was executed it's kind of like a match made in heaven like something about like you know um 
matching like yes you come up you come up with the score and, and you're you're picturing the product and 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 how it's going to go but being able to like not only come up with the score but then direct the actual thing and combine those two and make them simpatico in ways that um we don't often see i thought it blended really well i thought this was a really good choice yeah i agree and i think also it was very smart to not bite off too much you know, part uh, pun in, not intended, but uh, but more than they could chew. Like I think what works in here is he focused in on a very specific moment, a very specific group. A lot of times with these Marvel shows, we keep talking about it's getting too big, it's too convoluted. They're adding too much. They're trying to you know please too many people in the comic book uh, Easter eggs types things. I think with this, they really kept it pretty like as weird as this was, and like we had to buy into a lot of things it was pretty understandable and very like basic when you really pull apart, which is why it was so beautiful in a lot of ways and was so well done. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I'm ready to dive into this and we open on like a new or uh, updated decolorized Marvel fanfare. Um, I thought it was really cool. You kind of, you get the slashes, you get some lightning. Uh, I, I thought scary. Was yeah, that was scary. The intro yeah. was scary. That okay. might have been the scariest part, to be honest. It was like, <laughs> I just wasn't expecting it. I'm watching this intro. Yeah, it's like, ah. yeah it definitely, definitely uh, took me by surprise. I was not expecting them to get into it that quickly. Uh, but I love, like, as it started happening, and then the music self shifted as well to be like a slightly spookier, old school horror movie theme. And like, even to like the kind of a, a like, latin chanting at the end of it you know which is like such a, a nice touch yeah and i'd like to talk about like the choice to make this black and white because obviously it works really well in that kind of like you mentioned like your universal monster type film um but i kind of see through it guys i i know what they're doing i feel like it was a little uh reverse engineered here where they're like okay we want this very gory product and somebody was like all right yeah you can get away with this stuff if it's not in color. If we don't see like the actual uh, bloody red gore, um, so I don't know. What's your take on that? Am I am I judging them too hard? I mean, I to be fair, I think it works really well, but I know why it is this way, and I, I, I like I don't think they would get away with the type of content they were showing if it was in color. Um, I think I think there's some truth to that. I think that was probably definitely part of Giacchino's like a pitch initially to because I know like I saw an interview like whenever he first brought it to to Feige, Feige's like, you want to do werewolf? Really? Uh, and so I think that this had to be part of it. Like, okay, we have to be able to do this in a way that is going to be, you know, palatable. Uh, so there, the ways to do that would be to like, just like completely scale back on all the gore and stuff hundred percent or be able to have a little bit of it, but do it in this style. But I do feel like this was still, it was like all part of the vision. I think that uh, it is really hard to say which came, came first, but even if it's like, okay, you have to do it in a way that minimizes stuff and then just going with the idea. And I think, Feige, uh, not Feige, I think you can just talk about how, you know, one thing you appreciate about the old horror is that the like modern horror he feels relies too much on the gore too much on the shock of it all and so he wanted to go back to something that was a little bit a uh, uh more more involved in like the suspense and everything so i think there might be there is some validity to like yeah there was like some business decisions driving it but i think it also really went hand in hand with the style that they were trying to evoke and the spirit they're trying to evoke. Cause if they tried to evoke like the older horror movies and didn't do it black and white, then that, I don't think that aspect would have worked at all. I think it really had to be like both of them in concert together. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I see both sides and I, I like agree with all, I thought to be honest, I didn't even think about the gore part that they were trying to hide. I thought it was the hide man thing, to be honest. But then they showed him at the end, so I was like, okay, like they actually looked good in color. So maybe to save money, I don't know if it, if it really did. But that was my thought process was to hide like that side of things. But um, I agree with Todd of like, I do think a big part of it is to give the tonality right away. You know, you feel like you're back in those old monster films and it fits specifically this style of monster like monster hunters feels very black and white uh in a lot of ways yeah i mean uh world by night himself like is very heavily you know influenced design wise in the comic books and everything on the old like a uh, lon cheney wolfman 
films, you know, from Universal. So like his design and everything, like his very old school werewolf. And so it feels just like fitting for them to kind of fall into that mode whenever they're filming all of this. Fair. And again, I think it works really well. So uh, I, I don't want to, I'm not dissing it too hard. Um, but back to the introduction here, we have like uh, this narrator. We see like he's kind of going through, you know, there's different imagery here. We start on the Avengers, which again kind of grounds us in this universe. Um, but then we see like pages out of like books, which are like, you know, we see vampires and other types of monsters. Um, but basically, they're setting up um, uh, these people going. This group of hunters going to the funeral of Ulysses Bloodstone, and uh, he is dead. And basically, the whole point here is he the, he's putting on some games to um, find the rightful heir to the Bloodstone. So uh, yeah, we we get uh, a lot of interesting characters here. Um, uh, I'll throw it to you guys. Anything stand out to like the very basic introduction of you know Jack walking into the room and the characters and the monsters on the wall and all that. I think the only thing I'd say, I do wish we gotten a little bit more of some of the other hunters. I feel like another thing that is like, we're kind of like rushed past them. Most of them don't have much of a personality at all. You know, a couple of them do. They all have like really cool visuals and they all are really interesting characters in terms of like the, the fighting and everything like that. But in terms of like this being like full fully fleshed out characters, not so much, which I, uh, doesn't really necessarily hurt the whole thing. You have like the, the one really bombastic guy, Aya, who like first start, start talking to Jack. And I think he has more than enough personality to make up for the other three having no personality. Uh, but no, it was uh, it was interesting uh, to see these, like, because I was sat there, of course, going my Easter egg hat on, going, are, are these people I know? Are these characters I know? Like, trying to piece together if they're anything. But then they weren't. And in a way, I kind of appreciated that, that it was just, like, some, some rando characters uh that we could just like you know be disposable and not to worry about like oh, i can't believe they brought in this character just to kill them off you know uh which is thing like the the later x-men movies like were really bad about like just throwing people throwing and slapping a character's name onto a character even though the powers are completely different and they're just going to kill them off just because they want to say oh look we had this character in here but except it wasn't really what them uh so yeah but i thought that it was neat to see like the setting see all the monster heads i really like the intro with the picture as well because i also felt like very old school the introduction of like the history of the monsters and everything so i think the whole whole introduction sequence was a uh, pretty well done yeah i gotta i i think this is like one of my favorite movies ever is Kong Skull Island. And one of the biggest complaints about that movie is the characters aren't fleshed out. And my argument is always, I don't care about those characters. They're literally there just to die. Um, and I know, like, you know, it'd be nice to know them also. But for me, in a situation like a monster movie, I... I I like these like cannon fodder type characters. They're just basically like, you know, they're caricatures of, of like uh, something that we would care about, but we actually don't. So I don't know. Tommy, what do you think about that? No, I, I, I think I agree in the sense that like they did a good job of developing the, the core group. And it's like, if you see them as just hunters, I think my problem with it is like they went too far. They went into like a gray area where it's like, they didn't give enough, about them but they made them unique enough that i wanted to know a little bit more they didn't feel like generic hunters because i was like oh they have like these cool outfits i want to know like i they even had like it seemed like specialties like the one was a crossbow expert it seems like i love that stuff so there was a part of me that did want to dive into it more because they made them too like just interesting enough that i was peaked and then didn't give me anything more so either just make them generic bad guy number one or, or tell me at least like a name, you know, I guess they gave the names, but I barely remembered them. Yeah. I wasn't even sure if they said the names on the, so they, I, I don't even know if they really said their names in the episode. They got their names in the credits, but I like, cause I rewatched it. I'm like, okay, I know they, a, uh, Verusa, we got her name, but Verusa is like talking about each of them. And she just like says, well, you had this many kills and you had this many kills and never actually like, you know, referred to in them by name. So if you talked about them, you have to be like, okay, so the lady all in white and, you know, there's like not a whole lot of other stuff to, to hang your head on. I, I think uh, that's, that's kind of where I am. Tommy's like, they were interesting enough. I wanted a little bit more, uh, like, like, like the lady in white, she was like, just so striking compared to everyone in all their black. You know, and then she just looks like so vastly different. I just wanted a little bit more 
with her to know like okay what's her specialty what's she doing uh just like it gave me like the taste of like wanting a little bit more uh but i i agree with like the idea of the of the cannon fodder I, I can totally see that but because they made them just interesting enough to like peak peak my interest and then they were gone it wasn't enough to make me a really big complaint but it was just enough to go man i just wish i got just a tad more but yeah so um you kind of mentioned uh, the next bit here where we are kind of they're kind of setting up uh, the kills, you know, um, but <laughs> this is what this is so stupid, guys, but I loved it so much. The the animatronic corpse uh, was this. Well, I, it just <laughs> I mean, uh, I. It's so cheesy, and I even have this sound clip pulled. I can't stop laughing. I'll be rotting for you. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so dumb. It but is. It works for me. And it, I think this is an example of, like, you know, I like, you know, especially like in things like She Hulk, they get really carried away with the humor. But this is like, they had a little tinge in here, and I, I got me. What are you talking about, Michael? You don't take a ribbit and rip it seriously? How dare you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and since since I had the luxury of having like, you know, a library of everything I say, so that when I'm gone, people go, can go back and listen to it. Just go ahead, Tommy. And I'm not even kidding. I want you to like, if I die before you, um, I want you to make sure that my family knows I'd like to be turned into an animatronic. Okay. Yeah. My my notes of the scene is just creepy animatronic corpse. That's just it's yeah. it's interesting because there's tonally it could it could destroy everything. You know, there's there's a world where doing this, which is just feels like so out of place with the tone of the rest of it in a way, but also it still strangely works. Uh and like it's hard to describe why. But th this is a scene that I've was never happened. I'm just like Oh, I, I I don't know how I feel about this. I don't I don't know, you know. But they they reined it back in after that, so it wasn't all all this. And don't get me wrong, I love me some horror comedy. Like if it's like it was a horror comedy all the way through, then I would if it's all this tone all the way through, I probably still would have been in on it. Uh, it's just it's very different tone from the rest of the show. Uh, but it also kind of fits in a way with those older films, which would have like sometimes these really broad, over-the-top comedic set pieces in the middle of it that don't necessarily fit with the rest of the horror. But that was just like part and parcel of what the movies were in the 30s and 40s, you know? So uh, it fits in that vein as well. And again, if they'd done a little bit more, it probably would have been too much. But just having this little bit, having a Ulysses do his little Crypt Keeper bit, you know, yeah. It worked for me. And again, having Harriet Sansom Harris there just like fawning over the corpse. Uh, I just, I love her. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her. I've seen her in other stuff. I may think of her. She was a Frasier's agent on the old Frasier sitcom. She was BB Glazer and she will always, always be BB Glazer to me. Uh, I've seen her in lots of other things, but uh, I love her. And she was just perfect for the evil stepmother role. And just seeing her just like laughing her head off at his, you know, graveyard humor and everything just like really helps sell the scene. She's just so delighted because he's so incorrigible. <laughs> yeah, she was great. And like the animatronic, I mean, it definitely caught me off guard because to me it wasn't, I don't think I really got the humor of it all only because I was more focused on like, okay, what does this mean? Why would someone do this? What is, where, when is this going to come up again in like some way? Maybe I've just watched too much uh, media, specifically one Apple show I can think of without giving too many spoils away that had an animatronic that I thought of exactly that felt very similar to this kind of thing. And I was like, this is creepy. And then also I accidentally stumbled upon a, a Freddy Five Nights of Freddy or whatever it's called. So it also scared me. So I was just in a really scared mood at this. This was probably one of the scary just because of those interactions recently. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so next year, I guess the next big thing we get is um, they basically turn this into like a Hunger Games type of it, this battle royale where um, they're thrown into like this arena with this, this monster and... Um, very like the the goal is to kill the monster to get the bloodstone, but very quickly I think people are realizing, well, I can eliminate some of my competition here. So um, I, I love uh, 
you know, big Hunger Games fan, big, uh, you know, Battle Royale, uh, the movie, as well as video games. Like, I love this concept. So I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, Jack and Elsa are very out of place here. They even run into each other at one point and they're like, uh, let's just uh, go opposite ways. But I don't know, anything kind of stand out to you guys in this opening phase of the competition? Yeah, for me, I, I just really loved uh, the music, I think, here. The the tuba. I was obsessed with the tuba when it, when he was walking out, when Jack was walking out first. And it was like, oh, it was it was great. I mean, it, it adds that suspense. It adds, it feels very, uh, uh, I don't know, epic with it. And uh, yeah, definitely got some Hunger Games. I've got some Most Dangerous Games vibes here, too. Uh, and, and I love the, the design of the maze in general. Like if I was a rich person, I would probably have some elaborate maze and then put like some ridiculous thing in the middle that maybe you get to. So it's, a you know, someone wants to partake in my maze, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, that's gonna be a hard pass on me to partake in someone's maze that they built. I think, uh, I appreciate the offer, but I, uh, this is what it's going to be like. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Uh, I like the whole, the whole ritual aspect of it. Like whenever they're drawing the, the tiles and, the big question I had for a lot of it, like trying to decide like just how aware Jack was of what was going on. Cause I was like, okay, did Jack take someone else's place here? Or is Jack actually there as a hunter? Cause he seemed like not dialed into everything a bit, but I like the whole that. And of course the flaming tuba, you know, cause it's not just the tuba. It's a tuba that is on fire. And the man who plays it is like in the credits listed as the flaming tuba. So I have props to the flaming tuba. That the, it was it was just like really cool and one of the other things I really like about that is like so much of this was done practically like they built like this entire entire set you know this this was like practical sets they built for all of this it wasn't you know green screen type stuff which like they tried to do that with as much as they could in the show which I really appreciated the the move for practical but yeah it was it was a lot of fun just like seeing the ritual and then whenever Elsa and Jack were each other and Jack's just trying to go yeah we should just pass each other by and Elsa is like what what and then uh, the other guy comes in axe swing and then we had the, our first real action scene got to see elsa kick some ass a little bit which was fun so yeah it was nice to see all of the the action set pieces as elsa's trying to trying to save herself from the hunters who decide that she is fair game because they uh they don't want to to ri risk her reclaiming her birthright i have a theory here guys um i think elsa is a black widow um, and here, here we, here we have it. So th there's a couple things here and I don't know how the comics go at all. Um, but you would think that she becomes a monster hunter because her father is a monster hunter, but the whole theme and the whole reason she's not the heir to this bloodstone is because she distanced herself from that situation. So I would think that that's not where she got her training from. Right. Um, so, but she does fight very similar to Black Widow. Um, there's even a shot later on with Ted where um, she is she is running and we see Ted behind him, which is like almost shot for shot the same thing we see in the Avengers with Scarlet Witch and the whole thing behind <laughs> her. Um, so uh, I don't know. I uh, just uh, uh, something I'm throwing out there. That's interesting. Like it hadn't really crossed my mind other than whenever she does the little wrapper legs around, throw the guy thing. I thought, oh, there's the Black Witch move or Black Widow move, you know, and also like. Early on, whenever a uh, she first shows up, and Bruce is like, "You think you can compete without your father's training, without any training?" And she's like, "Well, without his training, anything that she got training somewhere else." So it didn't cross my mind that's where she got her training. But now you mentioned that that could be a really interesting thing. Uh, not supporting the comic books at all, but no, that doesn't mean anything in the MCU. So no, but that didn't even cross my mind. But that's interesting to think about. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's really interesting. Cool. I love validation. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so she ends up, she beats up the, the Scottish guy. She steals his axe. Um, but then she immediately runs into somebody else, um, this this crossbow guy. Um, and this is when they really start showing off some of the gore. Um, they fight. She she cuts off his arm and then uses the, the crossbow arm to shoot the guy in the head. Uh, I thought this was really cool. And then even, like, she has to, like, roll into, like, I don't know, what is this, like a trench and hide from somebody else coming up. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I loved all this. Yeah, I loved crossbow guy just because I loved the crossbow. I loved the, like, arm, uh, small crossbow wristlet. And uh, uh, I, I loved her just, you know, using it to shoot him right through the jaw. That looked painful. 
It didn't look fun at all. Yeah, this is rough. Um, but uh, I, I guess next here, this is where we start to learn a little bit more about Jack, where he he's grabbed by by the monster. Yes, Tommy. Sorry, I did want if we weren't gonna uh, talk about it. This axe guy is a dummy. <laughs> a, straight, a straight dummy how are you just oh my ex is here doubt she's anywhere to be seen the person that took the ex to begin with how are you not searching this whole room before you leave yeah not not a good call <laughs> yeah because it's not like she was even that well hidden like he should have like she was like there's a shot of the axe and her like right below it <laughs> i was like come on man open the your guy, eyes the guy should be on top of her if she, he's trying to hide it's like both, it's like she's doing a school photo or something. Both faces got to be in the front. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, Jack gets grabbed by the monster, and this is when we find out that he is uh, familiar with the monster. This is Ted, his friend. Um, but uh, uh, I don't really, what, they get separated. I don't know, but he ends up back in the tomb with yeah, Elsa. He, yeah, he, tell, he tells Ted that he has like a little thing that can explode and he's going to yes. go and try and f find a place to, to explode it, to get them out. But then the uh, hunter in white comes after him. So he's running from her and then he runs into the tomb and gets locked in with Elsa. Yes. Yes. So uh, this is a fun uh, moment. He kind of reveals some of the information and uh, I don't know, just like the, both these characters are just so charming and relatable. Um, you know, even with just like, I mean, it's a very uh, fantasy type situation, but you know, like issues with family and like, uh, I don't know. I really, I, I like these two together as a team. So, um, yeah. So she, he, he does tell her about, this is where he tells her about Ted, I believe. Um, yeah. and, um, he's going to go and blow up the wall. Um, and yeah, he has, he has this little device and I guess what does it fall or he like didn't place it right? And it was like, I thought this was really suspenseful. Yeah, yeah. Well, because he's like they make the plan because he's like, okay, I can I can get the monster to give you the bloodstone if you let him let him free. Uh, and he's like, and she tells him where to go to place the the explosive. And he's like, I just have to figure out how to turn it on. Then he turns it on, so it's beeping. So suddenly they're on a clock. And so then he runs. So of course, this is also scene where he tells her a. Uh, just talk if you run into the monster, just talk to him. His name's Ted. <laughs> you know, so I mean, at this point where like as, as a comic book guy, this is this character, Ted is actually the man thing, is the name of the comic book character, the man thing. It debuted in a, a Savage Tales number one in May of 1971. Its origin is basically the same origin as Swamp Thing. He was a uh, Dr. Ted Salas, as opposed to Dr. Alec Holland. He was working on some sort of vegetation science, and then there's an explosion, and he got burned up, and then was reborn as this vegetation monster. Swamp Thing debuted, like, one month later. Like, Man-Thing and Swamp Thing debuted in the comic books within, like, two months of each other. So it's, like, this one of those weird things of, like, something in the air of comic book creators, like, creating these two swamp-based, plant-based uh, creatures within a month of each other. Uh, but, yeah, so this this is Ted. He's never called by Ted, really, in the comic books at all. The the This version of Ted is much more intelligent than the version of the comic books. The version of the comic books is basically, like, a, a shambling mound who's, a, who's, like, attracted to people's emotions like this big empathic thing. And so it's kind of like this, like an anthology book, almost the man thing, just kind of stumbling into other people's stories and just being there to be the catalyst for things to happen. And the big thing is like, if you're, if you're afraid and he touches you, you burst into flames, you know, that's the big man thing thing. Uh, and there was a comic book called giant size man thing, which has been like the joke for everyone since the seventies. So just feel like I can't have a man thing mentioned the podcast, not mentioning giant size man thing. So that's your comic geek uh, geeking out moment of the podcast. No, that's great. And man, I loved seeing Man Thing on my screen or Ted. Uh, and, and I thought they did a really good job. I thought this was a really good version, like design wise. I was like, this is, we're seeing it. Like we're seeing Man Thing on our screen. Uh, that was incredible to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's like ripped right out of the comic books. Another thing worth mentioning of uh, the character Man Thing, I don't know if they'll work it into the, mcu at all but the big thing with the man thing is he lives in a swamp that's the, the home of thing called the nexus of all realities which is basically like a multiversal gateway 
Man Thing is how Howard the Duck came into the Marvel Universe. Man Thing was a character in a man. Uh, Howard the Duck is a character in a Man Thing story because uh, the Steve Gerber who created Howard the Duck created uh, was like the big Man Thing writer as well. So that's how Howard the Duck came about was coming through the nexus of all realities and a Man Thing storyline. So, but with all the multiversal stuff going on, there's a possibility that the nexus of all realities and Man Thing could wind up being connected, which would be really cool. And they could just completely forget about that aspect of it. But I think that's kind of an interesting thing to plant a flag in and keep in mind moving forward. They've been teasing the Nexus for a while since WandaVision, right? There was like a commercial. There was like a, one of the commercials in WandaVision was a medication called Nexus. And I remember uh, Tommy explaining this to me back then. So, uh, yeah, because uh, because Wanda also like in like a, in John Burns West Coast Avengers, I think as well as like Wanda was discovered to be a Nexus being. So, you know, kind of a, a similar, similar, but different use of, of the phrase. But yeah, it's definitely can be something that could be all tied together here. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, they end up, um, uh, well, actually, so just touch, uh, Elsa goes to get Ted. Uh, Ted kills the Scottish guy, burns him up. Very, uh, scary moment here. Um, but she, she, you know, what is this? Uh, you compare this to a lot of different things, you know, like, uh, King Kong, right? Like the kind of the calming of the beast, right? Where she says his name and, um, yeah, he ends up following her and, um, this is where Jack is blown up the wall and uh, Ted gets out, but, but she pulls the bloodstone off him and, and Ted uh, or not Ted uh, Jack goes for the bloodstone and it, it, it blasts him back. Not a good call. I feel like you should know not to touch that. If you're a monster. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh, why, why was Jack touching this? A, because like you didn't want it. To begin with, so like, just <laughs> just let her say. T- t- I get it. Maybe he's trying to be nice, pick it up for her, so she doesn't need to. Yeah. And Ted just booked it. Ted did not care <laughs> about making sure they got out at all. <laughs> yeah, I, but Ted probably thought, no, Jack's right behind me. Come on, you know. I, uh, apparently, Jack has had to rescue Ted plenty of times. So maybe this is just standard operating procedure. Okay, you open the door, and we both just book it. Uh, Ted not realizing that a uh, he was going to be like leaving leaving jack behind but yeah i agree like never jack to pick it up like why is jack going to pick it up uh, yeah, it's elsa's but i think it was like that gentlemanly thing because jack's a nice guy we've seen it over and over again jack's just a really nice guy so he's probably just been like oh it landed near me than her I'll, I'll get to her i can say goodbye to her but then yeah I, again kind of going to that my mindset of like yeah i don't think jack fully understands the implications of what he's gotten himself into here i think he may have like be aware of the bloodstone but maybe not realizing all of its powers or just how antithetical it is to monsters like he probably thought oh they can use it against monsters but never having faced it himself probably probably didn't realize that it's just like a his kryptonite uh in a lot of ways yeah so uh this is where uh verusa i think her name is shows up and um she is like she realizes jack is a monster and they're gonna get locked up in a cage here um Again, I, th- I think there's a lot of, again, just kind of building out the relationship between these two that I think pays off really well at the end. But, you know, he's kind of like explaining, like, like you know, I am human per se. Um, but, you know, a lot of different things. He's kind of like telling, preparing her for the worst. He's like, don't break eye contact with me, which is like a common thing you'll see. Or, or t- being told about like predators in the wild is you, you want to you don't want to turn your back to him. You don't want to look away because that's when they strike. Um, but also he's like sniffing her to like get her scent. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, any comments about the cage scene here, guys? Aggressive sniffing. <laughs> <laughs> like an aggressive sniffing. I don't care if I'm going to die. I don't want to be aggressively sniffling this. <laughs> and I okay. think you need to ask for consent, right? Like he, yeah. he just started in on her and uh, right. she's like, so, what are you doing? So I'm, I'm making a note now. So do not aggressively sniff Tommy, even if we're about to die. Uh, yeah. So that, that's good, good, good information to know. Uh, if, if we're ever in that situation, Tommy, I, I will aggressively sniff other people, but I will not aggressively sniff. Yeah, Todd, if you are a werewolf in any form, uh, don't ever uh, sniff me, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I, only I if you're a werewolf. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, completely fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
uh, you know, editing my notes to yeah, yeah. <laughs> adding that addendum in there. No, I thought this was a really good scene. Like I said, it's, it's a really good look into into Jack and uh, him him apologizing. He's like, yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't tell you I was a monster before. I was dumb, you know, wasn't sure you would react, you know. Uh, but it was like a nice because she's just like she's like she's completely given up hope. She is, you know just like completely uh, despondent here and it's just like it's over it <laughs> all the way she's like yeah just make, make it quick if you can and he's like oh no don't worry we got five days till the moon i don't turn until the moon i got systems in place and she's like forget your systems the blood stone's gonna turn you in like five seconds I'm like oh no that's not good um i really like talking you know i've complained about um the transformation scenes and She-Hulk and how they, they they kind of rob us of seeing that actual transformation. We were kind of robbed of the transformation here, but I felt like the way that they did it was even better, right? So, okay, the uh, Verusa and team come in. They shoot him. They shoot him with the Bloodstone, and um, this is where he starts to transform into the werewolf. And we don't actually see the transformation, but we see the strobe-like shadow effect of him turning into it from um, a, a point of view of him on Elsa, right? And Elsa, you see, like, she's advised, like, she's terrified. This is super scary, um, but she does not break eye contact. And uh, I, I think that is such a powerful, like, theme of where, like, I cannot look away, but I would really like to. And I don't know. I thought this was really well done. This is one of the best shots in the show for me. Yeah, 100% agree. Like this scene was amazing. Uh like I said it was it was in one way it was done to cheat them having to actually show the transformation, but it was also just like a stylistically again fitted really well, fits really well with the type of movies that it was, you know, like seeing this thing happen kind of off screen and seeing the shadows morph is how they would have gotten around the fact that they didn't have great special effects a lot of times back back in the day. So it was better than doing like the really bad a uh, stop motion a uh, slow fade effects that you would see like the Wolfman films whenever a uh, he would transform. It's just like a great shot. And one of the scenes where I think where the black and white work the best or two or three scenes, like the black and white cinematography, it just tells just perfect for this. And this whole sequence this is the style it shot in that, that zoom in on her and just her with the shadow on the wall behind her. Like this style, a uh, works so well for that scene. And just like one of my favorite sequences uh, in the show. And I think that's the key. Like, yeah, obviously we know they're cheating certain things in this. I doubt the budget is super big, but like do it cleverly. Like do it where it works with the with the style that you're putting on. I think that's the problem. You know, this isn't a She-Hulk podcast, but with like when we complain about with She-Hulk is like it is done and it's so clear that it's done because they can't afford to actually show us the transformations. And as opposed to this, it's like you really don't notice it because it's still such an incredible shot. Yeah, definitely. So uh, very well played. But this is where, uh, you know, they're very much uh, messing with the werewolf. And he ends up breaking out of the cage and chaos ensues from here. Um, another really incredible shot here is like, I guess this is like the lobby of the place where he is like just destroying these guards and uh, very gory. But like this one shot take where um again i think another trick they kind of pull on us is we get like blood splatter on the lens which i think kind of again hides some of the gore um but it is what it is i still thought this was really well done um but yeah there's a lot you know Elsa's out there fighting uh i think uh, uh she ends up killing the other woman but uh, any uh standouts here for you guys now like you like you said the uh the jack fighting the the guys in the hallway is like my other favorite sequence of the thing because it is just like this this you know, long shot you can see all the action and then as he's fighting them progressively more and more blood spatter gets on the camera obscuring more and more until he's done it's just like really well done and i feel like the uh, the fighting style of jack as a werewolf uh, feels feels really you know natural compared to what it would be in the comics. Like, like the way that he like is jumping around and going things like feels very much like what World by Night does in the comics. So I felt like it was very true to the, the source material, which is really cool. And I thought all most of the fight scenes, I think the interesting thing is like Jack doesn't kill any of the actual hunters. Like Jack kills a lot of like, the henchmen, but like I think three of the hunters get killed by Elsa and the other two get killed by Ted. 
so like none of the hell jack doesn't actually kill any of the hunters themselves but he kills like a crap ton of the henchmen in this sequence but the the uh, the Els elsifying both of the remaining hunters was also pretty pretty fun in the sequence do we think they should uh, uh, fix their scoring system then in the Monster Hunter Club? Like, you know, level of, of how good the enemy you defeated should be factored in, right? Not just a quantity. I feel like this Monster Hunter group was all about quantity, but like quality is important here where Jack was just killing a bunch of like stormtroopers, essentially. Is that the same yeah. as Elsa doing all the hard lifting? Yeah, I, I think you're right, Tom. We like we need like a challenge rating, like D and D challenge rating for monsters to be able to like uh, factor that in. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I killed like twenty of them, but they're like challenge rating like point one. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. that's, so that's not really that's more like a that's like a two score. You know, whereas you no, know, this guy he was like a, a five challenge rating, so that's definitely got to count, count more than these twenty that the other guy got. You know, I, th I think you're on the right track there. <laughs> Yeah, so um, after the uh, fighting is done here, uh, Elsa uh, approaches Jack using the same techniques as she's been told throughout the episode. Number one, don't break eye contact, say the name, and she's able to calm the beast here a little bit. Um, but I, I think uh, the very surprising end to this all is Verusa showing up. She's very upset. She's about to shoot uh, Elsa. But Hero Ted comes crashing through the ceiling and burns Bruce alive. I, I loved this. Yeah, yeah. I was I was glad to have the return of Ted. I was glad to see another example of him burning someone alive. And honestly, the if the thing just had like the sequences of Ted burning people, I would have been happy. Like that alone, just getting to see man thing on screen burning frightened people. Like that's like all I needed from my comic book homages there. So yeah, it was like really great to have him pop up again and get one more instance of his superpower. Could he have been a little quicker though? Like, come on, Ted, you really wasted a lot of time here. Like showing up, you mean? Yeah, he shows up at the end. Listen, I'm not afraid of the main thing is what I'm trying to say because he's just going to be tardy. I just had to leave before he shows up. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I feel like uh, I don't know. The the grounds are probably pretty big. He probably he probably ran off a little while before he realized Jack wasn't behind him. He probably went back to that location. I think he he was looking for him. All right, I'll back off. Sorry, <laughs> go easy on man thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. Ted had a hard day. You know, he'd been had that bloodstone on him and was weakening him. You know, it's uh, so it's, it's rough. Yeah, so um, after this, uh, Elsa grabs the blood, so she sits down, and this is where the color returns. Um, and I, I thought this was really well done, how they did that, as well as going back to uh, Jack and Ted. Uh, Jack, uh, Ted has found Jack and I guess like set up a little tent for him. He's made him coffee. He's like playing solitaire. Ted is like... <laughs> That's so goofy. Like, I was like looking at like the French press that he was using, like, and then like compared to the size of his hands, I was like, I don't know how you did, I don't know how you made coffee, but uh, I don't know. This is, I thought this was really cute. Yeah, I, I loved this. I will say, I think it could have ended with Elsa and the color going back. I don't know if I needed the Ted scene because I thought it was so clever. The color coming back, they're playing somewhere over the rainbow, obviously, and nod to the fact that like. Uh, Wizard, uh, Wizard of Oz was, you know, I believe the first, if not one of the first uh, color movies in the transition like that. I thought that was so clever. So I could have just seen it end on that and been like completely satisfied. But I did love seeing Ted in place all, all that stuff with the, the shenanigans over there. Yeah, uh, I think I probably would have been fine with it if we just saw them and didn't have like the extended conversation. I think it would have worked better for me there. Um, I do have to like, you know, that thing where I had to disconnect my comic book geek a little bit about the fact that this man thing is like much more intelligent and much more like involved to be able to set up a tent and do for people. Like, okay. That's not the man thing I know, but it's fine. It's fine. It doesn't bother me that much, but it's still like, through me. Every time you have like an example of Ted actually being able to talk to somebody or like intelligently do things. But the thing that I was most impressed with, and Tommy kind of mentioned it earlier is like, even in color, Ted looked good. Like Ted looked really, really good. And I was so impressed with the, the way that they're able to bring man thing to life, that the design looked like perfect trick in the comic books, but also like moving around, even in color, it didn't look janky. It looked like they could have like done a good job of having like a man thing focused 
story, which was like super impressive to me. So, but yeah, I love as soon as the color started to come back in from the bloodstone, like the red kind of like seeping out and the color thing. It was like such a neat effect and such a nice thing to, to show the transition from this kind of horror time to now Elsa has the bloodstone and all the bad is vanquished. And now we're moving out of the old horror movie thing into like the modern, more, uh, you know, more settled times with her as the keeper of the bloodstone, which is like such a nice touch. Yeah, I mean, Ted looked great, uh, don't get me wrong, but they only had one scene to make him look great, <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, no, but I, I, I really like they kind of set this up, like, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of little fun banter here, and I feel like, again, this is where I'm like, I want to see these characters again, I mean, it seems like, it's almost like the Han Solo and Chewbacca of, like, uh, of the MCU, <laughs> where, like, you, you get this, like, suave man who talks to this creature that doesn't speak English, but he can understand him, um, Tommy, can I ask you about something real quick, uh, completely off topic? Yes. You, you've done such a great... You, the production design behind you is incredible. You have you put a wolf uh, on the shelf. That wasn't there yesterday. No, yeah. I've, yes, this is my... I try as much as I can. I only have so many Funkos, but I want yeah. to have them match the background. I have a little wolf for Jack. It's Jack right there. Yeah, that's Jack. <laughs> Not Ghost, it's Jack. I, and... <laughs> Also, they they never mentioned his last name on the show, but his name is uh, Jack Russell. So the werewolf oh. name is Jack Russell <laughs> in the comic books, which I feel like we we can't uh, go through the podcast without acknowledging the fact that the man turns into some sort of canine creature's name is Jack Russell. So yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of the end. Uh, if anybody has any final thoughts here on on this fabulous special, um, I guess now would be the time to do it. We, we think we're getting more of this at least like once a year for Halloween, right? Like they, they set up way too much. And like, we're all saying we loved it. Do we see this for like, do we see this as we're going to get an actual series or do we see that? Like we're only going to get this once a year Halloween time. We know we're getting werewolf by, you know, by night. Hmm. Uh, I like the question. Yeah, will it continue? Will it be like an episode a year on this story? I don't picture that so much. I I would love to see like a different character explored next year, um, and but also you know we could sneak these characters into other projects too. Yeah, I think I mean they've talked about like in interviews like they definitely want to have these these characters been introduced. They definitely want to work them into the wider MCU in some way, whether that's in Blade or in something else, they definitely want to do that. And they've also talked about they want to keep doing kind of these holiday special type things. They want to keep doing this sort of holiday things. So I could definitely see like next Halloween maybe having something, but I'm with Michael. I would love for them to use these specials as an opportunity to explore other characters as well. But I, uh, I also want to see these characters again. So I don't know what the best format is for them, but I will say this has been... I mean, I know we all loved it, but this has also been like one of the most critically acclaimed Marvel projects in forever. Like everyone is raving about how much they love this project. I mean, I've seen a, seen, seen a few people who aren't as high on it, but by and large, like the critical response to this has been overwhelmingly positive. And so I think that could lead them to being uh, confident to try and uh, do more with these characters. But I also don't know if they go, well, okay, it was popular, but it was also popular because it was like this weird, this format. People loved the fact it was a callback to 30s horror movies and how it was done. And will that be the thing that they try to go back to that well or they follow the characters in a more traditional sense? I don't know. I don't know what lesson they're going to take from this. I think that's always the big question with this sort of thing. When something is popular, are they going to learn the right lesson for why it was popular? <laughs> are they going to focus on the wrong thing? And then any sequels will focus on this wrong thing instead of the thing that really worked because i've seen way too many sequels that took the wrong lesson from something's popularity and just completely botched it so i always have a little bit of nervousness hey, don't about talk about thor love and thunder like that <laughs> <laughs> wasn't even the one i was referring to but a hey, uh, touche uh, but no i i think that uh, there's lots of possibilities of where they could go with this and we're just going to sit back and see which direction they go 
Here's the thing. I think Werewolf by Night was so much of the right things. It would almost be hard to pull out the bad things, which I, I and again, this deserves all the acclaim uh, that it could possibly get. Uh, such a fantastic special. Uh, and again, I, I this year we have Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special coming up. So uh, they still have some in the tank and I'm sure they're going to, I think this is so well received. We're going to be getting more of it. So I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, all right, guys, that is uh, the end of the podcast. Um, uh, well, Tom, what, what's going on in your world? Is there, uh, Do you have like a recommendation? What are you watching? Any good movies or TV shows or something? See, well, it's October, so I'm almost exclusively watching horror movies right now. That's basically, uh, I just went to see Terrifier 2 last night at the theater. Uh, it is, it has possibly one of the, goriest most brutal death scenes i've ever seen in a horror movie ever which is saying a lot because i've watched a ton of horror movies so if that's your thing check it out that's not your thing avoid at all costs uh other than that uh i've been watching bad sisters on uh, apple tv which is a really good show i've really been enjoying that i just binged the first five episodes of the mole on netflix that dropped uh this week which has been pretty good so yeah those are a few things i've been watching recently uh, have you seen Barbarian? That's one I've been, there's been a lot of raving around that. Yeah, one. yeah. I saw Barbarian whenever it came out a few weeks ago. Uh, it's one of those, I would suggest going in knowing as little as you can about it. It definitely will enhance it, I, uh, I think. Uh, and there's one scene I feel like justifies the entire movie. Like there's one scene that happens and it's one of those things that made me laugh out loud, but it was like, in a way that's like, I can't believe they went there and it's amazing. And I'm so happy they just did that scene. I never in a million years would have predicted that, but it, you know, is perfect. It's one of those things where, you know, you watch a film or a TV show and it starts going in a direction like, ah, I can't believe they're about to do this thing. I can't believe they're about to do this stupid, stupid thing. And then occasionally it swerves and goes the complete opposite direction. It's kind of one of those things where I was uh -huh. sitting there going, oh man, I can't believe they're going down this road. Then they go off on a little side road you didn't even see there. And you're like, that was one of the greatest things I've seen. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed Barbarian. I think it's a, a definitely one worth seeing. Cool. Tommy, what about you? Are you you're watching Art or no? Huge no man. I, where was this show? <laughs> Even though I'm like 20 years behind. Uh, <laughs> like right in front of all of our faces. Like the most popular yeah. anime of all time. Where was yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, the show was on these CD-ROMs that someone burned the episodes <laughs> into for me like, you know, nearly two decades ago. That's where this show's been. So I'll catch up to you guys watching your modern shows as I watch my old shows. No, I'm watching uh, Naruto. Uh, for, for October, I'm trying to get through Sandman, which is a very good uh, show as well. Uh, Rewatching uh, uh, Over the Garden Wall, which everyone should watch in the fall time. Great show. And uh, Legends of Vox Machina. I'm rewatching it, Michael, because they announced that the second season is coming in January and they're already picked up for a third season. Oh. Yep. So I'm very excited there. Been doing that. And yeah, you sound, you love that show, right, Michael? <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, I, I've been watching an anime, Tommy. <gasps> uh, and I don't do this often. Um, the the Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix, which is based on the video game, um, it's very good. I love it. Uh, and I, I get it's hard for me to get into anime. So. Uh, you know, put it on your radar if that's something. I'll slowly get you over to my side and we'll get you into all these. This <laughs> yeah. will be the trap. We'll get you in. You'll be like, give me all the enemy. I'll be like, have you heard of My Hero Academia? Like, yep. <laughs> the, the new season just started. Yeah. I, I know, Todd. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a blast. Um, I, I knew you would be a great fit for uh, some, some horror here. I want to give you the chance to tell people what you're up to and where they can find you online. All right, so you can find me on Twitter at Librarian Todd because Todd Librarian was too many characters. You can find me every Saturday over on One Indescribable Podcast where Adam H, TV Lindy, and I cover the late great CW show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend to talk about what why we love it so much. We are coming up on the end of the series. By the end of the calendar year, we will have finished the fourth season of a, a crazy ex-girlfriend i'll have to be moving on to another project tommy will be a guest on our show uh, sometime before then 
uh, other than that, I've been uh, guessing on uh, post-show recaps a little bit. I talked about uh, Season 5, Episode 5 of Cobra Kai. I talked about a, a Season 1, Episode 5 of Reboot. I believe I talked about Season 1, Episode 5 of Sandman as well. So I've just I've discovered I've some... I was looking back, like, wait, I've been like an Episode 5 of all of these shows recently. But yeah, you can go over to post-show recaps. You can find me talking about a few different shows with a few different uh, guests. Yeah, this is why we couldn't bring you on for She-Hulk because we missed you for episode five. So we're like, well, where will by night? Yeah, we'll just roll it over. <laughs> All right, guys, I will close this out here. I'd like to remind you guys to rate and review us on iTunes, preferably five stars. Also, please subscribe because we're going to be every single week. Um, we're going to be here, you know, get She-Hulk finale next week as well as Andor. We'll be doing both of those. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Stark Wars Pod. Also, TikTok. I keep forgetting to say TikTok. We are back on the TikTok. So check that out. Um, also, check out our, our merch and our show notes because we got a lot of different cool designs and all different. You know, we got sweaters for the winter, the fall coming up here. You get, get yourself either a crew neck or a hoodie, something of that sort. Um, also, ask us for our Discord community because we got one of those going on. We'd love to have you join us. But that is all we got for you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. be rotting for you. <laughs> <laughs>